have them with you. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. Our scripture reading for today is Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Remain standing as we read Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his mercy, for his kindness, his goodness. We thank you that um, he is forever with us, that we can count on him, that your word tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we we thank you that uh, all of his attributes, all of his characteristics, they are good, and they are righteous, and they are unchanging, and they are all a blessing They are all worthy of our praise and honor and glory. The ones that we focus on and talk about and get excited about, and even the ones that we tend to forget about, they are all worthy of praise and honor and glory. So we ask today, God, that you help us to understand something more about Jesus today so that we might be more in love with him, that you might make us more like him that we might be a greater witness and light unto a very dark world. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. We have sung, rightly so, about Jesus. What else are we going to sing about? Jesus, 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 the sweetest name I know. Jesus, we are Christians because we're here to learn about Christ. We're here to celebrate Jesus. We're here to talk about Jesus. We're here to worship Jesus. We're here to learn how to become more like Jesus. Jesus is everything to us. Jesus is the reason we're here. But have you ever noticed how we like to bring out certain things about Jesus and focus on them more than other things? I mean, that's just kind of how we are. It's like in a hymn book. You know, there's hymn books, and, and there might be 500 hymns in that hymn book, but we all have about 50 that we really know and love, 
And if we pick out some other ones, we're like, Philip, what were you thinking? I mean, you know, where, where is he anyway? I don't even know where he's gone. But it's somewhere he's hiding. There he is. He's hiding because he picked out that ridiculous hymn that none of us know. Where, you know, right? Because we've got our favorites. And we're, we're kind of like that with the Bible. There's certain, you know, doctrines and teachings that we love and others we just rather not talk about too much. And even when it comes to Jesus, who we all proclaim and profess, and, and even those who don't yet know him, those who are seeking him, want to, want to think about and focus on certain aspects of Jesus. And so, we talk about his wisdom, we talk about his kindness, his grace, and his mercy. But I want to tell you something that we very, um, that you don't hear preached about, you don't hear talked about, you don't hear anyone say, oh, amen, Lord, thank you for the authority of Jesus. It's not something that's talked about. And yet, if you are to look through the pages of Scripture, through the New Testament throughout, in the Gospels and in the letters of the Apostle, all the way from Matthew to Revelation, time after time, in every single book, constantly over and over, you will see the authority of Jesus. Now, authority is kind of a bad word for, for us today. Because when we see the word authority, we think of authoritarians. We think of those people who try to lord it over others. We think of those who prop themselves up with pride and, and try to put their thumb on others. That's not what authority is about at all. We see in the life of Jesus, though, that his authority is a great blessing to us. And so this morning... While I love the grace of Jesus as much as anybody, probably more because, you know what, I need it. I need it desperately. I love his mercy. I love his love. I want us to just take a minute and think about his authority because it might be something that you have never, ever prayed a prayer saying, God, thank you for the authority of Jesus. As I was considering this subject this week, I realized I hadn't. I had never said a prayer to God saying, thank you for the authority of Jesus. But I realized that that was a mistake. Because that is something that all of us should be grateful for. And so I want us to dig in. And I'm just going to look at like, just like four things about the authority of Jesus. But we could be here for weeks on end if we wanted to talk about it. It's all throughout Scripture. But four things about the authority of Jesus I want us to look at and think about real closely. Number one, the authority of Jesus puts him in a class all by himself. The authority of Jesus puts him in a class all by himself. No others to compare. You know, over the years, there's been a lot of people who have tried to act like they respect Jesus but they don't accept him. They don't see him as the Son of God, as Lord and Savior. And so they'll say, well, well, he was a great teacher. You know, someone like Muhammad or, or Buddha or, or, you know, even a, a great leader like Gandhi. And, and so, you know, he, yes, he was, he was a great person. He was a great leader. He was a great historical figure. And by saying that, they, they're Wanting to say, like, well, yeah, we hold him up high, in high esteem. We, we just don't kind of catch that whole, you know, son of God thing. 
but really it is a subtle insult because he is not simply a great teacher. Remember the rich young ruler? If you're familiar with scripture, there there was this young man, and we often uh, refer to him as a rich young ruler. The Bible tells us he was rich. The Bible tells us young. He had power and influence. He comes to Jesus. He says, what thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice it was all about doing. He thought he had the ability. He was good enough, all right, to do this all on his own. And Jesus said, oh, what about these commandments? And he started listing off this one, this one, this one, this one. And the guy said, oh, yeah, I got that. Yeah, oh, check, 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 check. I've done it all. And then Jesus said, oh, you know what? There's just one little other thing. One more thing. The gotcha moment. Jesus said, all you got to do is, yeah, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and follow me. And then you're good to go. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful. Why did he go away so sorrowful? If he was really that much, if he really lived his whole life in pursuit of eternal life, because he hadn't really, he'd really lived his whole life in pursuit of appearance. He had really lived his whole life in pursuit of showing others how great and grand and good he was. And he'd been privileged enough, rich enough, had all the connections enough, and the talent enough, and the charisma enough to make everybody think how great he was. But he wanted all that and his money too. He did not want to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And he went away sorrowful because he knew while he could look at Jesus and call him good teacher... He could not call him Lord. And Jesus calls for all of us, when we come to him, our calling, our response to him is, you are my Lord. We are trusting him as our Lord. All right? So his authority puts him in a class all by himself. Let's think of it this way. What's coming up a week from today? What's coming up a week from today? I know most of y'all are thinking, another wonderful sermon by Pastor Tim. That is what most of y'all are thinking, okay? I don't know why you're laughing, but most of y'all are thinking that. Okay, but, but what's some other little something that's going to happen next Sunday afternoon? Anybody? Some, something about a ball game? Yeah, 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 yeah. A few, a few of you were thinking about that. Okay, so there's a lot of preparation, right, for, for that whole Super Bowl thing coming up. We build it up, we build it up, and this is number 5-5, five, five, right, 55, I think. And so, and so it's a big one, and how, here you got, you got Tom Brady, and you got Patrick Mahomes, so you got the, the young upcoming quarterback, and, and, and you got the one that's like been there a billion times, it seems like, and and so this is, a, this is a big thing. Now, they're going to be talking. They're going to be interviewing. There's going to be people trying to, to get an angle and a story. Now, what if they were to go to Patrick Mahomes and they were to, to ask him, well, you know, questions, and they, they, they try to get some kind of words out of him. And, 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 you know, what if they said, well, what's it like to play against somebody that you watched when you were a little kid or something like that? Or, you know, and, and then, you know, they try to make a story or a dig. And, and, and what if just... 
he was in a mood and he said, you know, Tom Brady, you know, um, I'd say he's a, he's a fairly, he's, he's a physically fit guy, middle-aged guy. Yeah, Tom, that's what Tom Brady is. He is a, he's a physically fit middle-aged guy. Now, um, would that be an insult or not? Now, on, on its face value, you would say, well, if, if someone said Tim Lee is a physically fit middle-aged guy, that would be a compliment, right? Okay, that would be, yeah, I'd be, I'd be good with that, yes. But Tom Brady, he would take that as an insult. He would take that and he would use that as motivation to do as great as he could next Sunday so that he could bring everything he could, every ounce of his being into that game, saying, oh, yeah, he said that. I'm going to show that one, young whippersnapper. He would use that, right? Because calling Tom Brady a physically fit middle-aged guy, that's an insult. And calling Jesus a good teacher or even a great teacher is an insult. Because it is such an understatement to be a lie. You see, the people of Jesus' day noticed this. In that scripture that we read, they looked at it and they said, What is this new teaching with authority? What is this new teaching? We've never seen this kind of authority before. Not only his authority in his teaching, but even cast out the, the evil spirits, the impure spirits, and even they obey his authority. We've never seen anything like this before. So the first thing we see here about Jesus' authority is that it sets him in a class all by himself. This is not a, you know, oh, there's an argument about who's the goat. Is it, is it LeBron or, or, you know, or is it Jordan? It's not like there's anyone close at all. There's no one close to Jesus. In fact, in another gospel, in, in John chapter 3, you know, where we get that famous John 3.16 about for God so loved the world. That very chapter, Jesus had called in Nicodemus, who was supposed to be the teacher of all Israel, who was supposed to be the greatest religious teacher of the day. And he was so confused. Nicodemus didn't have a clue. And Jesus said, and you're the teacher of all Israel, and you don't get this stuff about eternal life? Jesus' teaching was of such a level that it was supernaturally beyond any other teacher. So, his authority puts him in a class all by himself. Secondly, I want us to see that the authority of Jesus covers everything. The authority of Jesus covers everything. And, and this, this here, I'm going to actually reference several Bible passages. I'm not going to read them all because we don't have time. But this is a, um, a passage um, I'm thinking about in Luke chapter 5. It's actually covered in, in um, Matthew and John as well. But... It's a great story. I, I can think about being taught it many times growing up in Sunday school and VBS. The story about the guy who was ill and he had four buddies and they went to bring him to Jesus. But there were so many people packed in the house and around the house that they could not get him in. And so if these were like casual friends, they would have been like, oh, man, dude, we tried. You know, we, we really tried, but... 
sorry, man. But instead, they, you know, they find a ladder or maybe they do like a, a cheerleading stunt move. I don't know what they do, but somehow they get all up on top of that roof. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there was insurance. I don't know if they didn't care, but they just start pulling the tiles off the roof, pulling the palm branches or whatever was made off. And they make this big hole in the roof. And can you imagine Jesus, like, he's in the middle of tea. I, I can just imagine if, the, you know, I start seeing sunlight up through there. So Jesus is teaching, healing, doing his thing, and all of a sudden we start seeing sunlight here. And, you know, I don't know if my response would be, oh, you have such great faith. But that's what Jesus says when he sees this man coming, being lowered down by his friends into there. And the, and he says, you have such great faith, your sins are forgiven. And immediately the Bible says that the detractors, these scribes and Pharisees who can't stand Jesus, they hate him, not because he's false, but because he's taking attention away from them. And they were all in it for themselves. It was all dry religion that was about greed, not about God and about love. And they can't stand him. And they're burning with anger against Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that they were murmuring and grumbling about how dare Jesus blaspheme and say your sins are forgiven. And Jesus looks around and he says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say be healed? But, Jesus said, since you guys seem to need to know some proof so that you can know about my authority, he says, stand up. This guy that had been lowered down and had just had his sins forgiven, he said, rise up, take up your pack, pick up your pallet, and go. And the man stands up. He picks up his stuff. And he and his friends walk out, and he's astonished. His friends are astonished. They go rejoicing. The crowd looks around and says, we've never seen anything like this before. And the point of the whole story is that Jesus is not limited to some realm of authority. Like sometimes we think, well, God, I know you can fix this little spiritual area of my life, but this other area of my life is probably outside of, you know, your realm. You know, maybe that's not in your wheelhouse. We, we limit God. We put him in a box. We, we think that God can only cover, quote, spiritual stuff. And God made everything. There is no spiritual stuff to God versus other stuff. It's all God's stuff. Jesus can handle it if it's forgiving sins, if it's healing physical problems. It doesn't matter what it is. God cares about it all, and it, he covers it all. And Jesus is Lord over sin and death, physical stuff, finances, relationship stuff, career stuff. He's authoritative. He has authority and power over all of it. So Jesus' authority is not limited to little Sunday school lessons that a lot of people think, oh, yeah, that Christian church stuff. You know, that was really nice back when I was a kid and went to VBS and, and had those cookies and Kool-Aid. Those were good times. But now I'm out here in the real world, and 
I just don't know what that can do. Again, that's an insult to the Son of God. And just like Jesus is far more than a good teacher, he's far more than some cuddly little person that we learned a story about. He is in authority and his authority covers all things. The third thing we need to know about the authority of Jesus is that the authority of Jesus empowers his disciples. The authority of Jesus empowers his disciples. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that as Jesus was about to go off the scene, as he was about ready to leave this earth, he was, about, he was telling his guys, hey, I'm going because I'm going to sit by the Father, but I'm sending my spirit to come be with you. And he says, guess what? I'm not leaving you alone. My spirit's going to be with you. And while my physical presence was only at one place at one time, while I had taken on this human form to be with you, my spirit's going to be with all of you all the time, wherever you go. But here's what I want you to do. And he gives them this great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always until the end of the age. So he gives them this grand plan, this grand commission of their goal to go and teach and make disciples and those others. It is a never-ending process until his return that we are to continue as we have heard the good news. And we have been become learners and grown in discipleship that we then go and teach and make disciples who go and teach and make disciples. This plan for all generations of Christianity He gives it right there, plainly in Scripture. But here's the interesting thing. We often skip over these words. Right before he said go, he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, go you therefore. Go you therefore. In other words, I got your back. All authority in heaven and earth. Jesus saying, I've got my authority, I've got the Father's authority, I've got the Spirit's authority. Every bit of authority that can possibly have the highest and greatest authority in the universe is with me on this. And now I am empowering you. It's like he asked the disciples, raise your right hand. We've all seen the old westerns, right? The sheriff says, I need a few good men. I'm about to deputize you. I'm about to put on that badge. And you're going to have the power of the law behind you. I am going to empower you. I am going to commission you, Jesus said. And you're going to go from an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, an ordinary boy, or an ordinary girl. But because of my authority and my power, which I am investing in you, Now you have been commissioned to be a part of the greatest mission in the history of earth. You have become a part of the kingdom growth, of the kingdom mission, which will continue throughout all eternity. And that is because of God's authority. And so when you and I live out our faith, 
when we share other, with others, when we tell an unbeliever, a seeker about Jesus Christ, when we go along and disciple a believer and encourage them or teach them about how they more, may more faithfully live out the gospel, when we try to help someone come back to the faith, any part of discipling and teaching and sharing that good news, we are fulfilling a commission, not something we dreamed up ourselves, that we went out on a limb and kind of came up with some crazy idea. We are fulfilling the commission that we were authorized and empowered to do by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how much authority did he have to give us that job? Only all authority and power that existed in the universe. That's how much he had behind that command, behind that role, behind that commission that he gave to us. Fourth and finally, the authority of Jesus will not be denied. The authority of Jesus will not be denied. You know, we have a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of folks who will, again, admit, at least today, that Jesus exists. You know, it's interesting, uh, if you go back a century or two, uh, there were actually plenty of, of liberal scholars who would deny that Jesus existed, who would say, no, it was just something this group of uh, offshoot, crazy religious people made up. And, and now every, every scholar out there will say, okay, we have to admit he existed. There's just too much record. There's no way this movement came up. Okay, he existed. And then, you know, there are more and more that they'll say, well, okay, he had to be a great teacher. There had to be a movement come out. But there's still this idea that as much as historically is out there that came out, well, we'll admit he existed. We admit he was a leader, a founder of a great movement. We'll admit that he taught and that he had disciples. We'll admit all these things. But we won't admit his lordship. We won't admit his authority. We won't admit that he is the son of God who has authority over our lives. And so there will people who will live all their lives and they'll step into eternity denying that Jesus Christ is the one who created them and the one who gave his life for them. They'll deny that. But the Bible says that that denial will not be final. That denial will not go on forever. That denial tragically, although it will not go on forever, it will be too late when it is reversed. But the Bible tells us in the book of Philippians that there is coming a day when all people will acknowledge Jesus. This is one of, my famous, uh, one, one of the most famous passages and one of my most favorite passages in Scripture. And it's talking about the humility of Jesus. It's talking about the unselfishness of Jesus and, and the grace of Jesus. As Paul is talking to the young Christians in the city of Philippi and trying to teach them from Christ's example how he emptied himself and humbled himself and, and then God raised him up and how we as Christians should not be trying to fight for our own glory and power and our own reputation, that we should learn to humble ourselves and let God take care of our reputation 
And he's describing how Jesus, our Lord and Savior himself, he emptied himself, he humbled himself, even to the point of the cross. And all that, Paul describes all that he went through, but then he says, oh, but wait. Wait and see what happened. He, after he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day when there is, will not be one single tongue that will dare to wag in rebellion against Christ. There is a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. That day is inevitable. And so you and I simply have a choice. Will we go ahead and say Jesus is Lord today? Will we align our lives in that reality today and make every decision, look at all of our life through that truth, through that reality, answer all of our questions, make all of our decisions through, the, through that lens of Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of all. Or will we one day be the saddest of all, those who have denied and rejected and fought against and pushed against and are finally, as everything is revealed to them, in great sorrow of all they have lost and all they have missed, be finally forced as the truth is completely revealed to them, to acknowledge and to bow before Jesus the Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's not just a slogan. It's not just something you put on a bumper sticker or, it's a, or a hashtag. It is a reality which should affect every single moment of every single day of our lives as a believer. And it is something that we should celebrate. Every bit as much as when we think about our sinfulness, we say, thank you, God, for your mercy. We should also say, thank you, God, for the authority and power of Jesus. Because I know this world is strong. I know that Satan is strong, that the forces of evil are strong. But thank you, God, that Jesus is stronger. That anything that comes against me, it, it can't prevail. Because I know that the world is great, but greater is he that's in me than greater than he who's in the world. I know that you're in control. And, and here's the key. This isn't just a one-time thing. I mean, when we come to accept the Lord Jesus, we do believe on him. And we do enter his kingdom. We become part of the body of Christ. But the key is this. Do we reclaim that 
every single day. Every single day, do we actually live like he is Lord? Do we wake up like Jesus said when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow me. And so we wake up and we start the day and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I know you remember that already, but I'm going to say it to remind myself that I'm yours. I'm not my selfish desires. I'm not my whims. I'm not somebody else who wants to control me. Jesus, I'm yours. And God, help me to put to death my fleshly, evil, sinful desires, the things that, that are clinging to me from the past. God, let me put all that behind me and let me follow you and your kingdom. Lord, when I pray the Lord's Prayer and I say your will be done, your kingdom come, God, make those not be empty words, but make that be the reality of my life, that what I'm shooting for and fighting for is not about my 401k, not about my glory, not about my honor, but it's about your kingdom and your will. Because waking up and starting a day and continuously Going through a day like that, reminding ourselves that, and talking to God and staying engaged with Him versus, yeah, I told Jesus once. I walked down an aisle, I filled out a card, I told Him He was my Lord. There's a world of difference between claiming Him as Lord. And living with him as your Lord. Living out the authority of Jesus in your life. And that is a life of discipleship. That is a life of you as a learner, a follower, growing closer in him. And I hope that is a life that you will choose to lead. Because it is when you live that type of life that that authority and that power of Jesus that he has and that he has promised to his believers and to his followers, it begins to flow in and through your life. It begins to seep and pour through you. Not to make you special or to make you big or everybody to know your name, but Jesus, as you become more and more in love with him, he begins to fill you and other people begin to see Jesus coming out of you. And it's not about you, because it's Jesus they see. And they don't go praising you, they praise Jesus. And Jesus is glorified. And you're full of joy just because you get to be a part of it. And it's an amazing, amazing experience just to be a vessel, just to be something that God uses, a person that God uses to accomplish his will and purpose. The authority of Jesus cannot be denied. It can be delayed. But why would you? Because ultimately, it can't be denied. I hope you leave this worship service today and look at the word authority in a different way. We look at authority in a negative way. Because of corrupt men and women 
that we've dealt with in our whole lives. We've had good leaders and bad leaders. We've never had a perfect human leader. And authority always makes us scared. We always get worried about what someone will do if we give them too much authority because we know what we would do if we were given too much authority. We know our own faults. But God, who loves us perfectly, who has perfect plans and desires for us, has all authority. And if we will acknowledge that and live our lives in accordance with that, then our lives will be pleasing to him and fulfilled as we live as we were made and created and commissioned to live. Pray with me. God, you know I get excited about talking about this. And Lord, you know, between me and you, but also between all the, you and me and all the people in here and all the people watching, that I don't live this out near as well as I'm talking about it right now. That as I get excited about this, I'm excited in an aspirational way. I'm excited because I know mostly about how good it could be. And all honestly, I've just tasted a little bit of it. Only a touch of it. In the times when my own disobedience and selfishness hasn't gotten in a way. And so, Father, I first come to you praying that you'd get me right with you first. And then, God, I just pray for all of my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, those physically present and those listening or watching today. God, help us to wake up to what really matters. There are literally thousands of things pulling for our attention. And yet, most of them are trivial. Most of them don't matter. Father, help us to focus on the eternal things. To focus on you and your kingdom. To live our lives firmly, sincerely following your son Jesus as our Lord. And so God, as we leave this sermon moment, may we not leave behind the everlasting truth of your word. Even as we move into singing and praying and other church activities and as we move on to lunch and the rest of the day and into our work week and school week and all these other things, may we not move beyond the truth of Jesus as Lord being the key to our lives. God, I pray and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.